be sharing God's Word with you this morning, and we're going to be continuing through our journey through Mark, uh, Mark chapter 7. I'm looking at the second half of the chapter this morning, carrying on from what uh, Michael shared so wonderfully with us last week. And we're going to look at two stories this morning, both uh, which point to the power of faith. Uh, the first one is the healing of a, a little girl who's demonized, and then the second story is of a man um, who is deaf-mute, who Jesus also heals. And uh, I'm going to make some comments about faith out of these uh, two stories this morning. But let's read then the first little portion. Um, It's Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And it says this, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. And immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for is it not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Well, this really is an extraordinary story. And uh, I think when we start to see it against its background, it becomes one of the most moving and extraordinary stories uh, in the life of Jesus and his ministry. And I really trust it's going to encourage you this morning. But just some background about uh, Tyre and Sidon. Um, they were both uh, cities in Phoenicia, which was part of Syria. And uh, Phoenicia lay along the coastal plain uh, between Galilee on the coast uh, and the coast, rather. And um, Tyre was about 40 miles northwest of Capernaum, where Jesus had already ministered. Um, Tyre, the word Tyre simply means rock, and that referred to two large rocks that lay offshore, and they were joined together by a natural ridge about 3,000 feet long, and that formed a natural breakwater which made, which made Tyre a, a great natural harbor in the ancient world, and that's what it was well known for. And it also, the, the rocks obviously then made a fortress as well. It was a great place uh, to defend. And so there was also a great natural fortress in Tyre. And what was interesting is that the sailors, the the Phoenician sailors that sailed from Tyre, were the first ones to discover how to navigate by the stars. And that was really a remarkable discovery, and it enabled them uh, to leave the safety of the coast. And at uh, those days, they could only navigate around the coast. Um, And because they could then read the stars and navigate by the stars, they were able to navigate through the whole of the Mediterranean, eventually leave the Mediterranean and explore much further afield. And so it's remarkable to think that the Phoenicians came to Britain uh, all those thousands of years ago, and they traded for tin in Cornwall. And you know right now the the mines in Cornwall are no longer uh, active, but the Phoenicians were one of the first people to come and trade with uh, tin in Cornwall, which is an amazing thought. And uh, some people also just think that they, they uh, circ- circumnavigated around Africa. And so the Phoenician uh, sailors were, are remembered as the first that, that really understood how to navigate by the stars. 
Uh, and that, that really brings me to the context of the story. Just to, all of that to say that, again, now Jesus is in a Gentile territory. It's not a Jewish territory anymore. It's a Gentile territory. And I don't think it's um, accidental that we read about this woman here. Remember, uh, Michael so wonderfully encouraged us out of uh, Mark 7 last week. And just after the portion that he concluded with, there's the story of Jesus confronting the Pharisees about clean and unclean food. And it really is a major turning point of, in his ministry because he's really taking on the very thing that Jewish people had based their whole lives on. Uh, they, they, they determined um, much of, of their life through what they ate. So what was some foods were seen as clean, some foods were seen as unclean. And Jesus in this little story in, in the second half of, of um, Mark 7, he wipes away that distinction that they'd based their whole lives on. And he challenges them and he says, actually, what makes you clean has got nothing to do with what goes into your stomach. Uh, it's what flows out of your heart that makes you clean or unclean. And so he's, that's the context. And now Jesus is in this region. And it seems to me that... Um, He's also symbolically wiping away the difference between unclean and unclean people, Jews and Gentiles. In the same way that Jewish people would never eat unclean food, they also kept themselves separate from those that they saw, they thought were unclean, the Gentiles. And so it seems to me here that Jesus is already hinting and saying that Gentiles are not, are not unclean, but they too are part of the kingdom and have their place in God's kingdom. And this story points to that. And we also know that um, Jesus was trying to get a rest and he had, he had, he had tried already to um, take a break. And we know that when he, he, he walks on the water, he was up the mountainside and he was trying to have a rest. And then he saw his disciples were in trouble. So he came down and he helped them in the storm, calmed the storm. And uh, so he's, he's been trying to get some rest for a time now because he's... Um, He's trying to escape the pressure from the scribes and the Pharisees and um, the other people that were opposing him. Uh, so the scribes and the Pharisees had already said he's a sinner because he'd broken all the rules and regulations. Um, we saw too that Herod thought he was a, me a menace and he treated him with great suspicion. And even the people of his hometown, Nazareth, thought he was a fraud. And it's no wonder that with these things pressing down on him, he, feel he, he needed a break. And so he removes himself from that context and he comes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And at the same time that he's removing himself from the pressure exerted by the Jewish authorities, we can see that there's a foundation being laid for his kingdom ministering into Jewish, uh, into Gentile uh, contexts. And so this really, this, this simple story shows us how the future of Christianity would, would unfold. As the Jewish people rejected his message, it becomes an opportunity for the Gentiles and he begins to reach out into Gentile areas. And so here we have this Greek Syrophoenician woman who needs her daughter to be healed. And I've said already this, these stories, uh, the story is going to show us the power of faith. And uh, it's, it's quite interesting because his initial response to her seems to be quite rude, a little bit shocking. And he uses this uh, language and says, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs which uh, is hardly a compliment. Um, in the ancient world, too, um, the dog didn't have the connotation, the tag of man's best friend. Uh, it wasn't a really a loved 
lap companion in the ancient world. It, rather, in the ancient world, it was a symbol of dishonor. To both Jews and Greeks, the word dog was a symbol of contempt. And for the Jewish people, it also had another context uh, connotation, uh, is that it became a symbol of contempt for Gentiles who were seen as unclean. And so if you look at Matthew 7, 6 or Philippians 3, verse 2, uh, there are references there where it says, don't give the dogs that which is holy. And, and that is talking about the sense of separation between Jew and Gentile. And so it wasn't a positive uh, kind of word that Jesus was using here. So, so how do we understand it then in, in what he says to this woman? Um, well, I think it's most unlikely that uh, the woman would have known the full connotations of what it meant because she was a Gentile. And so even though it was a term, an insulting term, um, she wouldn't have had the, understood the full uh, connotations of what it possibly could have meant. Uh, I think Jesus is actually being a little more playful with her. And we can see that because it's, he seems to take the sting out of the word. Um, the Greek here uses the diminutive form of the word dog. Um, which was used to describe not the wild dogs that roamed the streets, but rather little pets that lived in houses. So it's more likely the context here is more friendly that Jesus is using it in, and is teasing her a little bit. There's a family scene with people sitting at the table, having a meal, and feeding the pet dog under the table the little scraps that come after they've finished eating. And whenever the Greek uses the diminutive form, it's usually based uh, usually used in an in a affectionate way. So like we would say, oh, what a cute little dog uh, with a tone of affection in our voice or those that you know, people can put on a special voice when they speak to their dogs uh, to communicate affection to them. And so without doubt, the tone of what Jesus uh, was saying here would have made all the difference. Um, and uh, so I don't think it's, it's necessarily that he's being insulting. I think it's more kind of teasing kind of uh, sense here as he speaks to this lady. And I think as I go further, you'll see what I mean. Do you notice the first thing um, that it shows us about the power of faith, this story, is that there might be a delay to what we ask for. And do you know, notice that even in the story, Jesus doesn't shut the door to her request. Rather, he just says to her, he says, no, the children must be fed first. And then if there's anything left over, it can be given to the household pets, the little dogs. And that's why I think he's, he's teasing her a little bit uh, in, 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 in what he says. And so, I mean, his response could mean a couple of things. Uh, first of all, that it wasn't appropriate for him to yet minister to her as a Gentile woman, that his pr primary concern was still for his disciples. Or a second reason could be a little bit broader than that, that his ministry for the whole of Gentile people was not yet ready uh, he was still busy focusing on his disciples. So it could mean one of those two things. And it, it's true that uh, the offer of the gospel was given first to, the, to, the, to Israel, and, and then it would also be given to the Gentiles, but it was not yet the time for that. But if you look at it from the woman's point of view, it must have been quite discouraging. Um, Jesus effectively saying no, even though he might have been saying it in a nice way. And uh, it can be like that in our lives as well. Often we, we can have our faith tested when Jesus or the Lord seems to say no when we're asking for something in prayer. And that can often reveal in us whether we are serious about what we've asked for or if we're going to give up really easily. 
And the, uh, I think for me, the story that shows quite clearly that God loves it when we have ambition spiritually. He loves it when there are good things that we are eagerly desire for, desiring from him and that we won't give up on, that we, we continue to trust him and pray and don't give up easily. We're not put off when we don't get an immediate answer when there's a delay uh, to our answer to our prayer. And so that's the first thing I, I want to uh, say it shows about the power of faith, that sometimes there's a delay, uh, but faith is not put off by that. And secondly, uh, I think it shows us that Jesus, Jesus uh, really loves it when we persist in our prayer. Um, do you notice this woman who's clearly uh, identified as Greek, Syrophoenician? Um, she doesn't take no for an answer. Uh, she persists. She, she says, yes, Lord. And that's why I think it's a little bit of a tease here, because uh, I think uh, she's saying that with a smile on her face. She's saying, yes, Lord, I understand. You know, it's good that the children are fed first, but even the dogs, even the little pets, they get the crumbs. And so I'm sure that because of the tone of Jesus' voice and that he was kind of affectionately teasing this lady with a smile, that she knew the door was not shut to her and it was still open. And so when she responds in the way that she does, Jesus loves it. She was showing sunny faith. She was showing persistence that wouldn't take no for an answer. And Jesus says on that basis, he says, go home. Your daughter has been made well. Her faith was tested and her faith was shown to be real, and a prayer was answered. And so it can be with all of us in the same way in our lives sometimes. Um, sometimes our faith is tested, and is it shown to be real so that Jesus can answer with a smile and say, go, what you've asked for has been given. And that's why I think um, Luke 18.1 encourages us that when we pray, we ought not to lose heart. That's what it's trying to say. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. If you don't see it immediately, persist in prayer because God will answer. And it might just be that there's some delay that you don't yet understand. God is listening and God wants to answer us. So let's not lose heart, but persist in prayer. That's in prayer. That's the second thing about the power of faith. It persists. It doesn't give up. It's not the first thing. It's not put off by delays. Secondly, it, it persists. And thirdly, do you notice that here, faith shows um, that it argues with God. And what I mean by that, the, here there's an argument that this lady has with Jesus on the basis of God's character. Um, great faith always reasons with God and uh, reasons with God around his promises or does here in this story based on his character. She says, yes, Lord, it's true. The children, the children are the first to be taken care of. But even the little dogs, even the pets, eat the children's crumbs under the table. So what she's doing is she's, effect she's effectively appealing to the mercy of Jesus. She's saying, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're a good father. Your, your disciples are your first responsibility. It's right that you attend to them. But even a good father who's looking after his children also has sufficient mercy to throw the pets a crumb or two. In other words, she's saying, I might seem just like a little pet dog to you, but Jesus, won't you show your mercy on me and throw me a crumb? And she's throwing herself on the mercy of Jesus. And you know what? Jesus loves it. And he answers her prayer. And you see, true faith, um, it holds on, even when God seems to say no. 
faith clings to the promises of God. It clings to God's mercy and God's power. And that kind of faith is rewarded. And Jesus promises in the moment, he says, you can go home and know that your child is well and delivered. And on that basis, the woman goes home and she finds it to be so. So that's the first little story. And there are three things there that I've pointed out about the power of faith. And he has another little story. Uh, the the, the, the um, uh, story moves on to the healing of the deaf man in the Decapolis. And um, it says, carrying on in, in that portion, it says, Then Jesus returned from the, the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the De Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ipaphata, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. Wow, just another absolutely amazing demonstration of uh, Jesus' kindness and mercy to this man and his amazing power as he heals him. And uh, it also, again, stresses faith and the blessings of Jesus that come to us where there is faith. And so we see here Jesus travels now past Sidon and through Galilee, but not through the areas that he'd already ministered into. And he keeps on traveling until he reaches the area of the Decapolis or the 10 cities on the eastern side of the River Jordan. Um, and again, this is outside Galilee. So it's outside the rule of Herod. And here he meets a man who's deaf and who has a serious speech difficulty as well. And um, what is most interesting to me in this story is the place that it gives faith. Uh, I'm sure you might have asked this question or, or heard someone ask this question. Um, when a person is healed, who must have faith? I mean, whose, whose faith is it that heals someone? And I, I would answer, it's anyone's faith. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, it might be in the sick person who has faith, it might be the friends of the sick person, or it might be in the person praying for the healing. It could be in any of those contexts that faith is, is, is released for, for healing. And in this case we see here, it's in the friends of the man who bring him to Jesus. Uh, they have faith to see this man healed. And Jesus takes aside this man aside to, to minister to him privately. We see that in verse 33. And it seems that Jesus doesn't want any more attention at this point. And at the same time, Jesus is showing absolute tender consideration for this man uh, in, in knowing that it could be an embarrassing situation for him because he's deaf, he's mute. It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult situation for him. And so Jesus takes him aside and ministers to him privately. And do you notice that he even uses, it seems to me, sign language. He, he signs what he intends to do for the man. He puts his fingers in his ears and touches his tongue uh, with, with spittle. Uh, signaling, signaling to the man that he's going to open his ears and he's going to help him to speak. And then it says, and I find this absolutely fascinating, it says the detail, he looks up to heaven 
he sighs deeply and he's showing in doing that that actually his help is completely on his father in heaven and the interesting thing for me about this word uh, translated epiphata uh, which means sighs deeply is that Paul also uses the same word when he's speaking about the inner struggle of the Christian in Romans 8 from verse 22 to verse uh, 27 and also in 2 Corinthians 5 where he talks about the inner struggle that rages there's a battle inside of Christians that he describes and it seems to me that the use of this word here is also saying that the battle for this man's healing is also joined to the battle in overcoming evil and uh, so the same word is used and he speaks the word epiphata which means be opened and this double healing immediately takes place but here's another interesting thing is that uh, epiphata can also mean uh, doesn't just mean directly the opening of the ears and the, the the healing of the tongue it also means it can mean the opening of the whole person to be set free and so there's a, a deeper meaning here it's not just the miracle of the man's ears being opened and his speech being restored it's also speaking of the complete kingly rule of Jesus coming into this man's life and making him whole because the, the word can also mean that the whole person being set free from what has been holding them back and I find that incredibly encouraging and incredibly uh, yeah just showing the mercy and the kindness of Jesus to this man healing him and at the same time bringing his kingly rule into the man's life and setting him free completely and so for me this little story the second story it shows how Jesus considered this man in an individual way who had a special need and a special problem and Jesus deals with him in a way that spares him any embarrassment in a way that he could understand and he's set free from the physical thing and at the same time God's rule comes into his life and sets him free completely and uh, Jesus tries to keep the miracle secret but again the news gets out the amazing thing that he's done and the people say he's done all things well he heals even the deaf and the mute and it's interesting to me because that echoes uh, Genesis where um, it says in Genesis 131 of God's verdict upon what he's created it's it's good it's been done well and it seems to me that when Jesus comes and he brings healing to what is broken in our bodies or in our souls uh, and he brings salvation to us he begins the work of creating all over again and he in the beginning all that was created was good and it was perfect and human sin spoiled that and now when Jesus comes and he restores and he heals in our lives he brings back the original beauty of God it brings back the kingly, kingly rule of God into the world into our lives where sin has made things ugly he comes and restores and makes things beautiful and whole again there's great power in God's rule in our lives there's great power it brings physical healing it brings emotional healing it brings us place back into a place of restoration with him so I want to encourage you this morning if you are if you are listening to this and you don't know the rule of Jesus in your life the Bible says very simply that if we simply come to him and we confess our sins to him he's faithful to forgive us and as we ask and we repent uh, he comes and he's on the inside of us he sets us free and we are born again into his kingdom I want to encourage you if you've never 
Ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your life to rule and bring his kingly rule into your life that you will do so this morning. And I'm just going to pray with you and to trust that you would know the power of Jesus who makes all things new and restores all things to the beauty that God intended for all of us. So if you'd like to pray with me, let's pray now uh, as we close. Why don't you pray after me? Jesus, I thank you uh, for who you are. I thank you that you can make the blind see and the deaf hear and that you can bring your rule into what was broken. And so, Lord, I come to you now and I ask that you'd come into my life. You would, by your power, bring life into my heart. That you would come and live with me. That you would teach me. And that we, you would show me how you want me to live. Lord, I confess to you the things that I've done that have hurt others. I ask for your forgiveness. And I thank you that as I confess my sin, you are faithful to forgive. And I ask now that you would come and you'd live in me by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that I might become more and more like you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I trust that you're encouraged, and I trust that you are refreshed by God's Word. And I want to ask you, if you did pray that prayer, that uh, you would let somebody know, that you can send an email to us at uh, Forest Town Church, or maybe you can text one of your friends and just let them know that you've um, asked the Lord Jesus to come and be part of your life that we can rejoice with you and that we can celebrate with you uh, of his goodness and kindness to you. Uh, yeah, so have a great day. Have a great week. God bless you. And I'll see you again next week. Cheers.